Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fantasy Scouts podcast, episode number 14, coming at you on June 2nd. I am your host, Chad Workman, joined by the usual crew, Sam Ehrman, Matt Nine, and Andrew Woodruff. We've got a very special guest today. Hayden Winks is with us from Underdog Fantasy. Hayden, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to run through this gauntlet of random questions for you guys. Yeah, we, we've got a lot for you. Um, we did some digging in your projections. Love love your work. Uh, so it was fun to look through that, but uh, came away with some questions and I'm excited to uh, see what you have to say. So let's get into it. going to start with Joe Mixon. He was somebody that stood out to me when I was looking through your projections. Um, I believe you have him. I know it kind of fluctuates. You kind of update your Google sheet live. So I'm not sure if you still have him here, but I saw him at RB eight on your, your uh, projection sheet there. So I was just wondering, you know, why do you see him finishing at RB eight and kind of what, what went into that? Is this the year that we finally see him uh, with a larger pass catching role with, with Bernard out of the way? So I think it's two things. I think the first thing and most important is Giovanni Bernard's out of the way. And that's about 50 catches per, per season over the last couple of years. And I think last year in Joe Mixon's final three games before he got injured, you kind of saw their roles change where Joe Mixon wasn't coming off the fields uh, in all situations. And he was one of the most uh, high, highly used running backs in all of fantasy before he got hurt. I think that that injury was pretty fluky. He plays most of the games. He kind of plays through injuries here and there. But I think that he's a three-down player. I think if you watch his film, I think that he's plenty capable enough um, as a receiving back. And I think that if you just look at Joe Burrow in particular, loves to get the ball out quick. And I think that he's going to be utilized in that role. They basically have nobody else behind him. So I think this is the year where you're seeing, one, the offense being better. I think when he was like a rookie, those were some really bad Bengals offenses. I think that Joe Burrow elevates that. We know he's getting the goal line opportunity. We know he can run between the tackles. There was an offensive line coaching change, which I think is a big deal. I, but the big thing is just Giovanni Bernard's out there. So this probably is the year where he's going to catch like closer to 50 passes instead of like the 20 to 30. Yeah, I think if if we're going to see him reach his potential that we all have been hoping and waiting for this year is the the year that everything is finally lining up for him to do that. What do you what do you think, Sam? You, you think this is Mixon's year? Oh, I do. And um, I think one thing that he didn't mention that I will mention is that Joe Mixon, I don't care what Twitter says, is a top five running back talent on this earth right now. I mean, he the kid is absolutely fantastic at football, uh, by far a top elite talent in this league. I really don't care what you think. I mean, like, that's one of those things where, I mean, the, he's he, he's a big body guy. He's a great athlete. He can do it all. He's got great vision. He makes the highlight plays. Um, you know, he can catch the football. He can, you know, I mean, like there's nothing this kid can't do. And we've seen the flashes. We've seen the potential. And I think this year is the year, like, where if it doesn't happen this year, it seems like it's never going to happen. But you can't deny the kid's talent. I mean, like, that's where you're at with him is you know that he's one of the most talented people to walk this earth. Um, for fantasy purposes, if he puts it together, it's going to be this year. And if he puts it together, he'll be a top five running back. 
top eight is, I think, you know, Hayden, like, okay, he's going to be an elite RB1, but, you know, probably didn't want to say top five because the amount of smoke he'd get. But the, the ceiling's there. I mean, he has t- number one RB1 potential, like the RB1 potential. I mean, that's how good he is. It, it just depends if he puts it on there this year, and I'm excited. So I love this take with him, and this is something where I'm excited to see it play out. Matt, are you uh, are you in agreement, or how do you feel about Mixon? Well, I, I placed a bet with Andrew last year. I told him either last year or this year that I thought Mixon would finish as, I believe it was a top three or top two uh, overall RB in one of the next two seasons. And obviously last year, you know, he had the injuries, so I got one more year left. Otherwise, I think it's 20 bucks I'm losing. Uh, but, I mean – I, I agree with, you know, everything that's being said, you know, he, he always thought he had the talent, um, you know, Bernard is out of the way. I, I guess I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I've never been a huge Zach Taylor fan. I don't believe he's a very good head coach. I don't trust him. Uh, I do know that, you know, even with the offensive line upgrade, you know, they still drafted, you know, Jamar chase very highly. I, I, I wonder if the rushing yards come down some because he's getting more passing work. So I, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I definitely, I definitely like top 12 top eight is probably right on the money. I don't really see him finishing higher than that. Um, and, you know, we saw last year, you know, I, I think I had a tweet like after four weeks, you know, I think it was uh, either Thursday night or a Sunday night game or something like that. And I was like, you know, you cannot win in the NFL throwing the ball 60 times a game. It just doesn't work like that. And I wouldn't shock me if the Bengals try and win that way this year. Um, because they took Jamar Chase and, you know, Joe Burrow's back and Zach Taylor wants to throw the ball. But we'll see. But I definitely like him as an RB1. Uh, real quick, I, I, I do want to point to the offensive line coaching change just because they brought back their uh, offensive line coach um, from a couple years ago when Joe Mixon was averaging close to like five yards per carry. And I think where you're going to see this year is Joe Burrow a little more under center. I think part of that is because that knee injury where they may be in the first month or two, they don't want to expose him too much. Uh, Joe Burrow said himself that, that he doesn't want to be running the ball himself. So I think that you're going to see some, a little more under, under center. I think you're going to see a lot more outside zone from Joe Mixon. And basically outside zone to me just means that there's a higher chance for like a big play potential. I think that Joe Mixon is athletic enough to take advantage of that. So I, I'm projecting in my um, projections that he's going to be closer to like 4.4, 4.5, 4.6 yards per carry. And I think th- there's been a couple of seasons where it's been like really bad, where he's like averaging sub four. I think that the coaching change will help a little bit. I mean, I, I'm not like trying to bet on Zach Taylor trying to figure out this entire thing, but I do think the offensive line kind of signifies maybe a more grounded pound, maybe a little more balanced attack from the Bengals this year, because I'm with you throwing the ball 65 times a game. I don't think that's like the winning formula right now. So question for you, then I know Sam wrote his Miles Sanders article. He was last week or two weeks ago. And, and he mentioned in there a specific uh, section, you know, with the NFL adding a 17th game. And I believe there was a report either yesterday or two days ago that the, in the next few years, they might add an 18th game. Um, we're going to start seeing backfields sh- shift to a more, you know, closer to 50-50 than not. So as of this year, do you, are you basically projecting Joe Mixon as one of those last like 65 plus percent opportunity share type of guys? Yeah, he'd be one of the candidates just because the Bengals didn't really address uh, backup running back too much. And they're paying him a lot of money this sure. year. So they kind of need him to be that guy. And I'm with you guys. This is like a make it or break it year for Joe Mixon. If it doesn't happen this year, it's likely never going to happen. I'm just betting on that 
uh, happening. And really right now on, on underdog fantasy, he's being drafted as the 12th running back. I have in my rankings, Josh, Josh Norris and I, uh, my co-host both have him as the RB seven. Um, you don't have to take him that high. I mean, if you're drafting like ninth to 10th overall, that's like where you, you can take him. You don't have to be drafting him seventh overall. If you want to, we just want to be over the market just because I think there's that narrative that he always is missing time. He's like not physical enough or whatever the, the Bengals offensive line stinks. Like I think people like put too much faith into those narratives rather than just like, all right, we're betting on volume. The d- offense is better in general than in years past. And just like letting those situations play out rather than going down narrative street. Too often I find people look like the, my biggest thing. And I always say is project forward always and in fantasy especially on twitter people spend too much time looking back oh joe mixon burned me last year so i'm not going to touch him okay yep. i mean like that was last year you have to look forward like in fantasy you have to have a short memory and a lot of times people don't and they get burned and i mean joe mixon can't deny the talent he's going to get the volume i mean like he's like there are people who walk this earth who say you know like they would take Zach Moss over Joe Mixon. And that just blows my mind when you're talking pure talent, opportunity, um, you know. And I think the other thing is is early in the season, you alluded to it early, but the Bengals are going to want to establish that run while Joe Burrow is getting back, you know, knocking some of that rust off. And it's not like the Bengals didn't add anybody in free agency. Like they added, I believe it was Riley Reef. Uh, I know that they were in conversations with Alejandro Villanueva for the longest time, although I don't think he signed. So it's like, it's not like they didn't add anybody. Like the, the offensive line will probably be middle of the road. It, I mean, that's what it's going to be. It won't be bottom five, but it won't be, you know, a top 10 offensive line. Um, and he's going to get the work. So you trust the talent and you look forward. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that he is probably going to get more scoring opportunities. And if you look at it, Mixon's averaged about 40 targets per season since he's been in the league. And I think Geo averaged right around 60 targets in that offense. So not that not that Mixon's going to see all 60 that, you know, would go to Geo, but even if he just absorbs, you know, a good chunk of those, he's going to have a really good opportunity to surpass oh. that ADP. Yeah, you guys yeah, have done that. Yeah, real quick, just one one more question, I guess, for everybody. Um, who's the handcuff here? Is it Chris Evans or Travion Williams? I don't think it matters. I I liked Chris. Chris Evans was the most intriguing running back to me in this class because he could play. Yeah, his problem was off the field, but I don't think either of those guys are good enough for it to really matter. I think if Joe Mixon goes down, it's going to be a wasteland. You're hoping for a touchdown from one of those guys. Yeah, I think Evans for me, I just grabbed him in a startup just for he's a perfect like taxi squad kind of guy for me, but for sure. Um, okay, let's shift gears then to another running back that most people have very high. Hayden, you have Jonathan Taylor finishing as RB12. And I hate to snitch here, but I listened to your bust podcast and he was your first bust on the podcast. Um, I see where you're coming from. I'll give you a chance to explain yourself, but we have some big JT fans um, on the panel here. So uh, yeah. How do you feel about Jonathan Taylor and, and where he's going? Jonathan Taylor, the player, Jonathan Taylor, the prospect, Jonathan Taylor down the stretch last year. I'm a huge fan. I think the offensive line is very good. Um, the one thing it just comes down to touches in the past game, especially in PPR formats, obviously Naeem Hines, 
I don't think he's going to have the same workload just because Jonathan Taylor deserves more, more snaps this year, but I think he's still going to be in the mix to some extent on third downs and passing situations. But my biggest concern is just the way that Carson Wentz plays his eyes are always downfield. And you just see this in his average depth of throws. You see this in his sack totals. This guy takes a lot of sacks. The reason is, is because he doesn't like checking the ball down particular particularly to running backs. And if you just look back historically, um, the top running backs in uh, Carson Wentz offenses, only one time has those running backs reached 50 receptions in a season. That was Miles Sanders when he was uh, in a committee with Jordan Howard, who doesn't catch any passes at all. So I'm just struggling to see how Jonathan Taylor is going to catch like the 40 to 50 passes to be a top five, top six overall fantasy player. And I hate being down on him because he can, like he is very explosive as a receiver. If he wants to, the Colts can use him like that. And he'd be awesome at it. But I don't think that Naeem Hines is just going to like not see the field at all. And if Carson Wentz isn't going to be checking the ball down to the running backs enough, it's just going to be very hard for him. You'd have to have like one of these like Nick Chubb seasons, one of these Derrick Henry seasons, which is possible. He's that good. It's just you're betting on a lot of outlier scenarios for Jonathan Taylor. So I'm viewing viewing him as more as like a low-end RB1, somebody I would draft closer to like ninth, 10th overall instead of like where he's going on underdog, which is currently the sixth overall player. That's a, that's a pretty hefty price tag for somebody that I think is going to be in somewhat of a committee this year. So to be, just to be clear, you prefer Mixon over Taylor as, as it stands today? I have I have Mixon ranked above uh, Jonathan Taylor in in half PPR formats, uh, and they yeah about I think in all formats I think they're right next to each other. Um, I don't think you have to draft Mixon ahead of Jonathan Taylor. You can just kind of wait to see where you're landing. Um, but I, I want to be aggressive on Joe Mixon. I think that Jonathan Taylor about I, I think I'm going to be ranking like ninth overall, tenth overall. Sure. I, I think uh, Matt's getting a little worked up listening over here. So I want to give the floor to him real quick before we, before we get to anybody else. Yeah, mixing over JT. That's spicy. I haven't heard that one yet. So that's, that's new. So I think we talked about it a little bit, a little bit like two weeks ago, was it? The Jonathan Taylor committee doesn't scare me because he was in a committee all year last year and he still finishes the RB six. I believe it was. And he had this amazing run down the stretch and everybody's like, Oh, but you played garbage defenses. Well, you know, he actually held his own against a very good Pittsburgh uh, Steelers defense. So it wasn't totally a fluke and schedule or no schedule. He still gets the Texans twice a year. So that's two games. You can probably chalk up 300, you know, all purpose yards right there just between those two matchups. Um, so I, I feel like even with Hines in, in the passing game, I feel like, you know, JT finishing top five and Hines finishing top 18 again. I think that's both of those guys that's within the realm of possibilities. Now, where I slightly disagree with you, Hayden, is that Carson Wentz played very poorly last year. Everyone saw that. The fans saw that. Coaches saw that. NFL players saw that. The media saw that. The whole world saw that. And I think bringing Carson Wentz over into Indianapolis, Frank Reich knows that he has a team that's good enough that they just need him to not lose games. In Philadelphia, they were asking him to win games with that roster. Now he's coming to a roster that's 10 times over better than what the Eagles have what the Eagles had last year. So I don't think they're going to ask him to come out and, you know, launch the ball down the field 10, 15 times a game or run around and, and try and make the big play. I think Frank Reich, who's a very good head coach, uh, one of the best in my opinion, is they're just going to keep it very simple for him. Hand the ball off, play action, uh, short passes, dink and dunk. Like I don't see think we're going to see Carson Wentz of old. I think they're going to keep it very conservative as long as he's not losing games. Their O-line is – good enough uh, uh, with JT uh, to just run the ball and win games. And that defense is not bad either. So that's kind of where I think, you know, 
like you, like you alluded to a little bit, you know, the Nick Chubb, Derek Kennedy, I think he's going to get those touches. I, I think Naheem Hines might be maybe the wide receiver three. Cause you know, after Pittman and T Y, you know, Campbell's health, you know, is, is a big question mark. So I don't really see Hines taking a lot away from JT as far as touches go. All right. I'll hop in here. Um, I'm in the between the middle of you guys somewhere. Um, obviously, you know, Jonathan Taylor is the star. Um, and I don't know how much like projecting volume with that offense is going to be impossible. You're just betting on the talent. But the thing is, is, you know, Jonathan Taylor will bust at least like five 50 yard touchdowns next year. I mean, like his numbers will, and I think even last year, his numbers were a little inflated because, you know, a few big plays, but you can't take that away from a guy like he's big playability, but I don't know if you want to bet on big playability in the first round. Um, when like, if, like, if you're on there and you know, like you're looking, you're, cause you're legitimately looking at like Dalvin cook, CMC or Jonathan Taylor. Are you going to take the guy who's equally as good with less volume? Or are you going to take the guys equally as good with more volume? Personally, I would lean the guy with more volume. Um, which is why I would, you know, fade on him, but I love JT. I mean, absolute star. Um, he'll be an RB one or a fringe RB one. It just, I mean, it depends on how high he goes. I mean, he's got all the talent in the world. It depends on, you know, Carson Wentz and, if, you know, they can sustain drives and everything. And kind of like a Matt said, you know, they'll probably want us to establish the run and, Hey, drive the car. Don't, you know, hit the accelerator sort of thing, but there'll be moments where Carson Wentz has to win games and, um, I trust Coach Reich enough to do that. So, JT, it's not like Cam Akers where, like, there's a legitimate conversation with his ADP versus what you can actually expect. You know, I, barring injury, JT will be no less than RB15. So, you're, I mean, you should be happy with that. It just depends on where you want to go with your draft and if you want to take him in the first round because that's where you have to take him and – that's just where I stand with it really is kind of what kind of team are you building for that year? And I will say one more thing is that this backfield rotation is Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Like that's it. Like Marlon Mack is not a part of this. Uh, Jordan Wilkins is not a part of this. Anybody else they bring is not a part of this. It's those two guys. And that's it. I agree with that for sure. Hey, now yeah, I want to ask you real quick. Um, this is, I just want your opinion on cam makers. Um, is he, I've been vocal that I don't think he's the second coming of, you know, a top three guy. Um, where are you with him in um, if, actual realistic fantasy standpoint? So I thought coming into the pros, I thought he had a three down uh, profile. I thought he can catch the right. passes plenty, plenty good enough. I think that the Rams offense this year is just going to be much better than it was last year. I think that the Matthew Stafford or Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford is like a pretty noticeable upgrade. I That's think that they're going to expand the field a ton, uh, Sean McVay. So I, I like Cam Akers. I don't think that like Cam Akers is necessarily as good as like someone like Jonathan Taylor, but I don't think he's like that far off either. I think that Cam Akers certainly could play. The one, the only downfall to me right now would be the Rams offensive line is very old and they're kind of relying on a lot of like depth guys in starting roles. So that kind of scares me a little bit, but uh, when I can be betting on Sean McVay, I like doing that. So I have Cam Akers as a top 12 running back. I also have Daryl Henderson way above consensus as well, just because 
if Cam Akers gets hurt, there is no Malcolm Brown this year. It's it's Daryl Henderson only. So I'm okay being overweight on both of those guys. If an injury happens, then the other one pops up and goes absolutely berserk. So um, I'm, I'm happy with betting on Sean McVay. See, that's just where I'm at with him is I understand Cam Akers is really, really good at football, but Darrell Henderson is also really, really good at football as well. And I've never once said, you know, you Darrell is the guy you want. It's just I feel like his value is being inflated, you know, and Twitter's not a great place sometimes for ADP advice, in my opinion. And But I was just curious where you stood because I saw your tweet earlier and it was in the back of my mind. That was all. Yeah, I think I think his ADP is fine. I, I wouldn't be like I don't have a strong take on Cam Akers. Right. Um, I think I think I have a strong take on like, the Rams offense in general. Um, I think I have literally every single player in the Rams offense ranked a couple spots ahead of where they're being drafted. Um, but yeah, it's not like a reflection on Cam Akers per se. If I wouldn't be surprised if they just come out and let Matt Stafford light it up, and he could he could really realistically could throw for five thousand forty next year, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'm like, oh yeah, I mean that's who he is. Yeah. So I'm excited, and especially as a Rams fan. So, Andrew, you have uh, you, you have Jonathan Taylor ranked second in your dynasty rankings, and then you have Acres as RB12 in dynasty rankings. Do you have any thoughts on those guys and, and what the guys said about them? Yeah, I mean, Hayden, you made a great case about both Mixon and JT, just starting from there. Um, I don't know. I kind of know running backs about every three years, your old guys who were elite, they kind of fall off at some point. You see the new guys kind of going up. So for me with dynasty, I didn't look so much first year as I looked over the next three years. So I know you've got guys like Joe Mixon, he's going to produce this year, but I'm not expecting him to continuously produce for the next three years consistently at a high level. Not saying his talents near the bottom of the league, but I think there is going to be some point of a drop off if it's, he could very well go off this year. You made a great case for why he could go off. Um, but the reason I kind of like JT at running back two outside of, we know he's a young, great talent. Right now, I don't think that division's anywhere near good enough to stop him and limit. Now, Matt, you kind of already alluded to it earlier, saying the Texans twice a year, but the Jaguars are also still at the bottom of the league. They're still there. So that's four games that he's going to be coming into. And plus, I think the Titans, if I remember correctly, started losing some of their defensive guys. So, They've got a great coach. I believe Rabel's going to turn around. They'll plug somebody in and keep going. But there's always that chance of a downside of also, okay, maybe they take a step back. So that could be up to six games right there. Um, also, I can't remember who put this out. This might have been one of our guys, actually, talking about uh, pass protection. Most rookie running backs, I think we all agree, kind of struggle with pass protection. It's normally not their strongest suit. And JT was no exception last year. He struggled with pass protection. He gave up a lot of sacks, a lot of pressures. But Naheem Hines, who is a pass-catching specialist, gave up even more. So I think, JT, you could see take that second-year step, and that might get him on the field more on third downs. And the only reason I've got Akers down there at 12 right now is just because there are several of those other guys I liked in good situations that I just placed up above right now. I mean, Akers, I think, again, it's great talent. Mississippi guy himself, so, like, I've – I've cheered for him since day one. Even people that said he sucked at Florida State, so line situation. I think he's got all the world, talent in the world to be a three-down guy. It's just kind of like you alluded to, Hayden. That offensive line scares me. And I don't know if you're expecting him to go off year one, but be in 2021. So I'm like, I'm kind of hesitant on. I'm more of a 2022, hoping they fix it, spend some more draft picks, or normally trade them away and go get some talent to plug in. 
Yeah, that's their problem is they keep losing their first round draft picks and like they no, they can't address the offensive line because they have no salary cap or draft picks to, to fix it. And it doesn't seem like Sean McVay actually cares. So uh, yeah, that's where I, I would definitely have Jonathan Taylor way ahead of Cam Akers in Dynasty. I think mm-hmm. that's totally reasonable. I think in this year alone, the gap is, is a little narrower, but I mean, you can't argue against Jonathan Taylor's safe, safety and ceiling for Dynasty. It's like, yeah might be the number one player honestly yeah he's he's super safe in dynasty and so just to add some perspective for our listeners we we only do dynasty rankings here and so when we talk about hayden's projections there for this upcoming season um with that in mind hayden you wrote about mike davis and his fit with the falcons offense i believe you had him finishing as rb21 in your projections. so what uh, can you tell us kind of what makes him a good fit in atlanta so I watched a lot of his film, basically every single touch from last year, because he kind of came out of nowhere. And I saw a back that is very physical. He has a lot of wiggle for a power back. I mean, we all saw the pictures of his enormous thighs. Uh, the biggest thing was he was so good out of the backfield as a reception uh, or as a receiver. He was he led the NFL among running backs in broken tackles off of receptions last year. And I think just the, the scheme fit with Arthur Arthur Smith is perfect. You're going to see the Falcons go back under center like they were in 2017 with Kyle Shanahan. And we've seen Arthur Smith obviously use a power back like Derrick Henry. Mike Davis does not have the home run speed that Derrick Henry has. I don't think he runs quite as violently either. And you kind of see Mike Davis, like he'll like loves to bounce the ball outside when he shouldn't be doing that because he doesn't have the speed to make those things work. But he has so much wiggle. And the big thing for Mike Davis in fantasy this year is there's nobody else in the backfield. The Falcons have no money. That's why they're trading Julio Jones. And we love Arthur Smith, the play caller. And if Julio's gone, it's Calvin Ridley. It's Kyle, Kyle Pitts. We love those two guys. But after that, it's Russell Gage and Hayden Hurst and these other very replaceable guys. So I think Mike Davis is going to see a massive workload. And I think that people are kind of sleeping on how shifty Mike Davis is for a 220 pounder. So like a lot of these guys, we kind of fall in love with like a, I think the, the big one right now is like Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin, like 205 pounds, shifty, but Mike Davis, 220 pounds. Like that's like the, the three down profile that we want to be chasing in Dynasty and in redraft. So Josh Norris and I are both way ahead on Mike Davis. I see a three down player this year, even if he's not super efficient like he was last year. That's totally fine. Volume wins out. The Falcons offense, we know is going to be good. So I think that he's going to be like an RB two and he's being drafted as like an RB three right now. Um, yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. I mean, he, if you want to win a championship, you draft Mike Davis in the fifth, sixth round. And, you know, I mean, put him as your flex and he's your RB three. I mean, that if you, I mean, I literally have nothing to add. I, I like it. And I'm all about the Mike Davis train for 2021. Yeah, for me, I I I grabbed Mike Davis in like every league back in was it 2017, 2018 with Seattle because I liked what I saw from him just on film. And you think he was good last year? Go back and look at his numbers in 2018 with Seattle. He was even better. He was more efficient on you know, a little less volume, but more efficient and he's a pretty good pass catcher too. Um in 2018, he had let's see, he had 34 receptions on 42 targets for 214. And then obviously last year he caught 59 of 70 for 373. So he really is kind of your prototypical three down back. And I'm happy to scoop up shares of him. If people are, are sleeping on him just because he's not necessarily a sexy name. Um, and they didn't expect him to be the starter. So 
I'm with you there. I like the fit and I like uh, what's in store for, for Mike Davis. Um, let's go ahead and head to San Francisco where Jeff Wilson obviously went down with an injury. I want to get your thoughts, Hayden, on how that injury affects the, the, the running back rotation there and kind of how you see it playing out. I don't think it matters too much because who, uh, if Jeff Wilson is going down, I think that either it's going to be Eli Mitchell or Wayne Gallman kind of play that same role. And I think that no matter what, it was going to be Trey Sermon versus Raheem Mostert. And I think they kind of operate in two different roles. I'm betting on Trey Sermon because I thought he was a really good prospect coming out of college. He's very elusive um, for a big runner, kind of like Mike Davis can catch the ball well enough has plenty of wiggle for like a 215, 220 pound back. And I think he can be the uh, three down back for the 49ers if they want him to. Now going to Raheem Mostert, he's the home run threat. He's much faster than Trey Sermon. I think that you're going to see them kind of use it, use him in like that uh, Daryl Henderson role where he comes in, probably gets eight to 10 carries per game. Hopefully they give him some outside zone runs where he can use his speed and he could have a couple big weeks. But I think – Trey Sermon's going to be the goal line back. I think that he has enough skills himself to just beat out Raheem Mostert, who has not been on the field that often because of injuries. Part of that is because of his size and the 49ers don't have him under contract next year. Obviously they traded up for Trey Sermon. So I think that eventually Trey Sermon's going to win out this job. I think early in the season, it's going to be Raheem Mostert um, as like a change of pace back Trey Sermon more as the power back. And you're just betting on Kyle Shanahan kind of figuring out these two guys. Well, look, I got flamed for taking him at 112 in our mock draft last week. So, uh, Sam, I know you you weren't a fan of that pick for me, but uh, I think Hayden Hayden likes Sermon. So, what do you how do you feel about that, Sam? I, I, I like Sermon as well. I just there were players you passed on that I wouldn't have passed on over Trey Sermon. That's Fair all enough. it was. Like Trey Sermon to me, like if if you have just a guy and you have, like, star, he falls somewhere in between there for me. Um, I think he's a really solid player. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan went up and got him. Like, he traded up and got him, and that's, you know, I hate narratives, but that's the highest draft capital he's ever spent on a running back. Um, Trey Sermon can play. He's not going to bust a game open, but, I mean, he's he, he's fast enough where he can make big plays, but he's not going to bust, like, an 80-yarder. I mean, it's not going to happen. Um I like Trey Sermon. He's got the draft capital. He fits a zone scheme perfectly. Um, and the thing is with the zone schemes, I don't think people understand is zone schemes. You can hide a lot of flaws um, because typically when you start getting, you know, east and south and you find your lane, all you got to do is put your foot in the ground and go. Um, and when you put when you find because the way it goes is when you're shifting to the right and typically as a running back coach, you know, you teach sidestep right. And then, you know, if it's a right carry or whatever, but you see the hole and you can see it coming. You can see it forming. It's a lot of times the, the, the narrative that's used for it is like, you can see a storm forming. You can see a hole and it's going to form when you get there. Um, so he's going to put his foot in the ground and go. And he's a very physical player. He, he can make some guys miss, but that's not his, his best ability. Um, you know, he'll probably run over some guys. He'll probably make some highlight plays and, and some people's, you know, some fifth string DBs career. Um, and, you know, when he gets trucked and, the, you know, I mean, like, you know, typically the joke is if you see a DB come on the field, he's wearing number 40, you go after that guy. Um, I, I'm excited about Trace Furman. I just, for me, it was, I didn't like him at 1.12 when you passed on some of those other guys. That's all it was with me, but I'm excited. And 
Um, you know, like he said, remember he most can't stay healthy. Um, and then it's just a guy central down there. So you're betting on draft capital and talent and you should be excited with him. Yeah. I think a lot of people are concerned with, with Trey Sermon just because his college production wasn't that great. Um, I think there's some, some contextual things that you need to add to that um, to kind of explain away some of those things. And when Kyle Shanahan's betting on a running back, it's best to, to get on him instead of avoid that situation. And I think, I think for dynasty purposes, Jeff Wilson, uh, Raheem Mostert, uh, Wayne Gallman, none of those guys are under contract. And Elijah Mitchell is an okay player. I think he's got plenty of speed and he can be a useful number two back, but he doesn't have that like elite profile that uh, Trey Sermon could uh, develop into. So I think in Dynasty, this could be a situation where you don't love starting Trey Sermon this year, but all of a sudden we look up and he's the, the clear lead back and Chance looks good. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, like Trey Sermon is going to be like a borderline, like top 15 running back in like starting next year. So I think that's the bull case for Trey Sermon. Obviously big asterisk. He was a third round running back. Those guys bust rates are pretty high. So um, it's just one of those tough situations. I just want to be betting on Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And I've seen that system up close and personal in Denver. Trey Sermon kind of reminds me of Mike Anderson. You talk about that one cut style. I don't know if you guys remember Mike Anderson back in the, the Broncos Shanahan days, but he was a guy that would one cut and he was physical and he would run you over and, Sermon kind of reminds me of the same style. I don't know what you think, Matt, Andrew, you guys, you guys got anything to add on, on this backfield? No, I think they hit it all. And just, you know, for those of you listening out there, I think one of the most underrated things to look for when drafting fantasy players and paying attention to what potential roles could be is when teams trade up in a draft to come get somebody that's huge. And the 49ers, as they alluded to, they gave up two force to come up to 88 and they took Trey Sherman and, was it you that said, Chad, I believe this is the highest drafted running back Shanahan's ever, ever had, or either second highest, something like that. So he's done a really good job of, you know, finding the Jeff Wilsons of the world, you know, for little to no money, but now he's gone out and he's invested, you know, top hundred pick in somebody. So that's, that's pretty significant to me. Yeah. And I'm about to say like, y'all have covered pretty much everything for me. Um, and Hayden, you've hit the nail on the head for me. Like you've got Jimmy Garoppolo back there, or you might have a rookie quarterback. Best way to protect it, play strong defense, play action, use your running backs. Trey Sermon's going to be your guy if you want to sit there and go run through somebody. I want him. I want him in the backfield going and doing that. If you need a big play to happen, okay, rotate him out with Raheem Mostert. Let's see what happens. But overall, like the profile, yeah, I'm betting on it. And I will say, Chad, I've got almost every single one of my drafts this year about 203. So I'm right there with you. I'm all for betting on Shanahan running back system. I got a question for you, Hayden. If you didn't own Trey Sermon, what would you pay to go get him? I don't play enough Dynasty to know like the like where all these players go, but I, I did like just rookie rankings this year, and I had Trey Sermon around like eleventh, twelfth overall. Uh, I'm betting on just the other guys getting out of the way, and it's just going to be clear that Trey Sermon's the best in the backfield. And if we're betting on Trey Lance. I mean, we always like our running backs kind of with these dual threat types because, I mean, they're going to be super efficient. We already know the Shanahan's scheme in general is going to be super efficient. So it wouldn't be surprised to me if Trey Sermon all of a sudden is like averaging like five yards per carry or something. And he's not the home run threat, but I think it's going to be consistent. Another five yards, another five yards. And there's not going to be too many backs that are going to be more physical than he is, like 6'1", 215. Um, he's going to be the goal line back for the foreseeable future. So um, I'm okay with, with betting on uh, or betting against the lack of uh, the career uh, college production for Trey Sermon and just betting on what my eyes were telling me on film 
and Kyle Shanahan, just like historically. Yeah, I think that efficiency is a good point, too. That's a big part of the Shanahan system is just consistently ripping off five, six yard runs just in a row. So uh, but let's go ahead and transition to wide receivers. Uh, You have Stefan Diggs finishing as the wide receiver one in your projections, which Maybe not that spicy, but I haven't seen uh, anybody else, I don't think, have Diggs finishing as the overall wide receiver one in their projection. So what what led you to that conclusion? Yeah, so right now I'm struggling between Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, and A.J. Brown as my wide receiver one overall this year. I think all of them have a good case. Uh, Stephon Diggs feels so safe to me. Like We know the Bills are going to be passing the ball a ton. We know Stephon Diggs is one of the best uh, receivers in the game. He one intermediate and shallow last year after like going completely nuclear as a deep threat, he literally can do it all. So um, I, I don't, I don't have a strong take between these like top four, top five uh, receivers. I do think that if uh, I think I'm back on Devonte Adams as my number one wide receiver, because I think I've settled in that Aaron Rodgers uh, against his will is going to come back. I really don't think the Packers are going to trade him. He basically has no leverage contractually, um, so unless the Packers like just completely cave in, which would be completely against their entire organizational philosophy, I think uh, Rogers will probably return. So right now I have Devonte Adams one, Tyreek Hill two, Stephon Diggs three, and then AJ Brown fourth. I'm not going to argue against anybody that has any of those guys flopped. I think like right at the round one, two turn is totally fair. Uh, but Stephon Diggs is a total baller and I love the Bills offense in general. Um, super like just a awesome organization top to bottom right now and betting on the bills in any capacity outside of running back, I'm willing to do. I have nothing to add. I, I mean, you saw what he did last year. I mean, he's a superstar. He's got a superstar quarterback. He's the clear alpha. He'll catch a hundred plus receptions this year. Uh, it, it, him finishing as the wide receiver one is way more than in the realm of possibility. And if anybody's got a problem with it, you can find me on Twitter or Hayden in Twitter. We can argue because if you like, you just, there's there's nothing to be said. It's a fine take. I'm all about it. I don't think I have him finishing one, but uh, you're splitting hairs. You're you're hoping a touchdown or two bounces your way, and that's all it is. So with these superstars, you take them and you'd be happy. Yeah, yeah I think the real uh, real quick. I just think the real debate is like receiver, or running back, or Travis Kelsey. It's not really which wide receiver. It's just like what philosophy do you want to work with? Are you picking a Cam Akers? Or are you picking one of these receivers? I think that's where the debate is. You can pick any of the wide receivers, like you guys said. A couple of touchdowns here and there is going to make the difference. I do think that Devonta Adams is just like in a tier of his own if Rodgers is around. But obviously, you have to take on that Rodgers risk. So that's that's all. Yeah, I mean, Aiden, you've made the case perfectly. You want the very efficient receiver who is the focal point of the offense tied to an elite quarterback. I mean, you can go back to 20, all the way back to 2012. Like you've got Calvin Johnson, Antonio Brown, Demarius Thomas. You've had now Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm forgetting somebody else. But, like, every single one of these guys at the time when they go first receiver one each season, they were tied to a great quarterback, and they were the focal point of the offense. That's exactly what Diggs is. I've heard it many a times. Matt, you've said it yourself. Like, the Bills paid a ton to just acquire Diggs. Like, they are going to work with him and feature him everywhere they can. So, you got no complaints from me. I can definitely see it. Yeah, I thought that was the easiest call last offseason. I don't know why so many people were fading digs. It's like, oh, we haven't seen him before. I'm like, they gave up a first-round pick for this guy. You don't think they're going to throw it to him a ton? Like, I thought him finishing top 12 was was 
very just a very logical conclusion and then you know like hayden said like there's you know probably four or five guys that are in the conversation for the wide receiver one i have no problems with Diggs being that guy all right let's go ahead and talk about terry mclaurin you have him finishing as wide receiver 19 in your projections um i really like mclaurin and i think you know obviously them bringing fitzpatrick in has kind of boosted mclaurin's value in a lot of people's eyes so is there anything holding him back in Washington or, or is there a reason you have him as finishing as wide receiver 19? This is another one of those situations where you have a bunch of wide receivers and like the wide receiver two mix that are like all projected for basically amount this the same. Um, I like Terry McLaurin and he's my wide receiver 17, my actual rankings and my rankings are a little bit different than my projections. And usually I keep tinkering with each as we go on, um, but he's like right there. And I just think that the only differences would be, um, if Washington's just actually really good this year, which I can see because Ryan Fitzpatrick's there and they added Curtis Samuel, I was kind of high on Diami Brown. Um, Adam Humphreys is there too. So there's a little more target competition, but ultimately Ryan Fitzpatrick coming to town is good news for Terry McLaurin. Uh, I think Terry McLaurin's going to be a wide receiver too. Wouldn't surprise me if he sneaks into the wide receiver one mix. Um, I'm not going to be low on him. I'm probably going to have more exposure to him than, a lot of the running backs in that, in that mix. I think that when you get to like round three and four and redraft, give me all of those wide receivers in that range over the running backs. So even if I'm a couple spots below Terry McLaurin in like wide receiver ADP, I'm still going to get him a bunch because I'm basically crossing off all of those like RB twos in favor of these like borderline wide receiver ones. So you're splitting hairs, pick whatever one you think is the best. I'm not going to be out here talking too much crap on Terry McLaurin. Um, yeah, it's like draft wise, it's how I operate too. Typically, I actually I don't think I've ever done a draft where I didn't go RB one, RB two, and then I look for a tight end. You know, like if one of the big three are there, but um, and then you just mop up value while everyone else is reaching for needs. So I mean, draft wise, I'm all with you, and Terry McLaurin, I'm with you as well. I'm, he's a star. It, it depends on how high you go. And th- and this is why I'm not a fan of like linear rankings. I like like group rankings, like, because, Oh, you're disrespectful. I have a Terry at 19. But like, if you go through and look at the people in front of him, like you're splitting hairs. I mean, you're really flipping a coin, you know, one draft, you may go Terry, the next draft, you may go DJ Moore. you know, I mean, great players. Um, I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick's being a little overhyped by the fantasy community. Um, I mean, we know he let it, he lets it rip, but he's never been good for an entire season. Um, you know, he gives you three or four really fun games. And after that, he's usually pretty hard to watch, but um, you know, you're hoping that he comes in hot and stays hot. And he, I mean, Terry McLaurin to this point in his career is shown to be pretty much QB proof. So you're drafting him and understanding you got yourself a baller and don't look at the wide receiver 19 as a disrespect because it's not meant to be um, like, as he alluded to, you're literally in that range. There's so many guys that you'd be like, Oh, well, that's a fair point. So I like it. Um, and I agree. So I'll just leave it with that. I think the key for me, it's not so much that Fitzpatrick is just this elite quarterback, but he throws the ball downfield. He averaged almost eight yards per attempt last year, which was top 10 in the NFL. McLaurin had, um, let me find it, 668 unrealized air yards. So 
I think the two of them connecting downfield and if anybody's targets are going to be hurt at all, I think uh, if they're actually good, I think it's Logan Thomas. He had 110 targets last year, which I just don't really see that continuing. And JD McKissick. There's a bunch of JD McKissick targets that could be funneled out of the offense. So uh, yeah, the, the one thing with, with Brian Fitzpatrick is he finished, I think 16th out of 82 qualifying quarterbacks in EPA per drop back over like since 2015. So like a pretty big sample where he's uh, like very hit and miss, but in general, he's usually moving the ball downfield. Um, and I think that a lot of these like inconsistencies will be kind of taken away because now he's playing for a team that has a defense. Like those Bucks teams from a couple of years ago were really bad. And those Jets teams were even worse. So I think that now he's probably going to play within himself a little bit more just because he doesn't have to force the issue on a team that's like going like three and 13, like Washington's like actually a legit team. So I think you're going to see like uh, maybe like a more settled in Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe like the Harvard version of him, not the guy wearing the sunglasses inside at his press conferences uh, where he's like team sex. I think he's going to be more like conservative Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's going to be good things for the entire offense. I mean, okay, not that's, both that's Fitzpatrick's. <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, I was going to say, Sam, actually, I had a comment about yours. So we have seen so far Fitzpatrick has finished three full seasons of 16 games completely. According to that, like two out of those three, he's been a top 12 quarterback. So I don't know. If you got a top 12 quarterback, it, it could work out to where Terry, if you get a few touchdowns, could definitely bump up close to that borderline receiver one. I got no issues with receiver 19 for projections. I am curious. So if you could pull it up, who are a couple of the guys that you had ahead of him based off your projections, Aiden? Um, so I'm, I'm probably like a week overdue from re- resetting my projections, but I just did my rankings. Um, some guys I had a- ahead of them. Uh, Robert Woods is one spot ahead. I love Robert Woods. This kind of goes back to Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. Um, then CeeDee Lamb, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, Amari Cooper. Those are like the five names I have right ahead of them. And like, that's just like, I mean, I'm ranking Julio Jones over Terry McLaurin. Like, sorry about that. Uh, that's just kind of like one of the situations where it's, they're all on the tier. I will draft some Terry McLaurin. I, it's just hard to like rank these guys. Like there's just so many good receivers right now. So anywhere in that mix, I'm going to be drafting a ton of Terry McLaurin just because wide receivers over the running backs in that like round three, four area. And it just comes down to that. I just want to be drafting Terry McLaurin because those guys are just way better than the running backs in that, in that uh, same tier. Yeah. I'll say historically you're dead on with that. Go for receivers anytime after round three normally. But yeah, I will say the only guy that you just listed that I might go, eh, I don't know, would be Julio, but, if he stays in Atlanta, I've got no issues with that because we know his talents. He's got a connection with his quarterback, and the ball's going to be spread out, so I think he's going to get some more one-on-one looks, hopefully, to get those touchdowns finally in his career. So, yeah, I mean, I think you're dead on. i got no issues how you're setting that up. I just love Terry McLaurin, so, you know, I just wanted an opportunity to talk about him, really, more than anything. Uh, But let's go to Cincinnati because they have some interesting receivers uh on the Bengals now so in your projections I think you had Jamar Chase and T Higgins finishing right next to each other I know as you said you're kind of you know these are fluid and and you might be a little overdue but I think most people have them projected pretty close to one another this season so how do you see primarily like the target distribution playing out in Cincinnati and just each of those guys this season so right now I have target shares uh Jamar Chase 20 percent T Higgins 20 percent Tyler Boyd 19 percent so I mean 
and this is just one of those where like projections are analytics because like I think the, the people that do the best projections come from like an analytics background, but that doesn't mean that they're like foolproof. Like we're, we're guessing how good Jamar Chase is. Like there's not analytics film. Nobody knows exactly. We're just like trying to make our best guess. I think Jamar Chase is just better than T Higgins and definitely better than Tyler Boyd. And I think that he's going to eventually be like the true number one receiver in that offense. But T Higgins is really good too. And I think that T Higgins probably is going to be the downfield threat uh, win on the perimeter, win on jump balls, win in the red zone. He's just a, a little bit bigger than Jamar Chase. Um, both guys play really physically, so that would be kind of interesting. Um, I just think that I'm betting on Jamar Chase this much more than T. Higgins because I thought he was just a better prospect uh, in general. But I think T. Higgins is a good player himself, and same with Tyler Boyd. And we just know that the Bengals are going to pass the ball a ton, uh, maybe not as much as they were last year, but – um, if Joe Burrow is progressing well in his knee rehab, I think that all three of these guys will have big weeks. I just think that Jamar Chase, um, his pedigree at LSU, um, I'm going to give him the nod barely above the two other guys. Yeah, and just for context, um, for listeners, we saw Boyd had 110 targets last year, T Higgins 108 and AJ green 104. So I do expect all three of those receivers to be very close to one another. I think personally for me, I think if any one of them is hurt by uh, this trio, I think it's, it's potentially Boyd more than the others, just because he relies so much on volume to where Higgins, like you said, being more of a downfield threat, he's more capable of those, you know, big plays down the sideline. to where if their volume does come down a little bit, I think it hurts Boyd more, but I, I think they are going to air it out. I mean, Burrow threw it for over 40 times a game when he was healthy last year. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, he's close to that number again. I don't, I think Matt, you and I have, they've talked about this in the weeks past, but you want to run it back. What, what do you, what do you have to add? You're shaking your head. So I don't know if you're disagreeing or, or what you have. Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Like I, I don't agree with, or I, I agree. Don't disagree with, the thought process behind having the target shares at 20, 20, 19. like that's fine. Like, you know, just, you know, you were good in college. That's good, but you've never still never played it down in the NFL. Like it doesn't matter how highly drafted. We still don't know until we see it. So that being said, I think, honestly, I think T, T Higgins is, is going to be the most affected by this. And if we're just going to go off Hay- Hayden's rationale here, you know, Jamar, Jamar Chase came in. He's essentially, I think he's going to step into your, AJ green role or whatever you want to call that, you know, he's going to get the 104, right. Probably for sure. And then on top of that, we get a stack on top, you know, he's like really close friends with Joe Burrow. Like Joe Burrow is going to be looking his way a lot. So I feel like his target share is going to be clear cut. Number one, now whether he, what he does with that or not is to be determined, but I think he's going to have the the highest target share. And then if we go T Higgins is going to be your stretch the field guy, you know, Joe Burrow was the worst quarterback throwing down the field last year in the league, the worst. So if T Higgins is getting 25, 30 targets, you know, over 30, 40 yards, you know, throughout the course of the year, how many of those is actually within, you know, that he's able to catch? Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, yeah, he got 40 targets, but he only caught, you know, five of them. So I I just, I, I feel like T Higgins takes the biggest hit here. I think the drafting of Jamar Chase keeps him in like a permanent wide receiver three type range. Um, And then Tyler Boyd, I mean, they don't, they don't drew sample. Okay. You know, Tyler Boyd's going to mop up the middle of the field. Like, you know, that's, that's your safety net. That's your, your, your quick stuff right, right out to him over the middle of the field. So I feel like it's chase Boyd and then Higgins last. Now I do agree. They're all relatively close, but I, I am out on Higgins at, at costs. 
after they drafted Chase. I will say on underdog fantasy right now, Jamar Chase is the wide receiver 20. I mean, how often do you see a rookie being drafted that high in redraft? That is very aggressive. I thought I was aggressive ranking him as the wide receiver 23. And I was like, that is like, Hey, I'm really betting on Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow wide receiver 20 is rich. That's like really rich. Um, Right now, T Higgins is the wide receiver 26 on underdog. And then Tyler Boyd's the wide receiver 34. And we're, we're a half PPR site. Um, so Tyler Boyd, I think would be a little closer than those other two in full PPR. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I do think you make a good point about T Higgins. If he's going to be stuck on the sideline running those deep routes, how often is Joe Burrow actually going to hit those? Cause that is like very clearly Joe Burrow's biggest weakness right now is can he throw a 15 yard out route uh, for a first down, like third and 10. And I think last year that was a for sure. No. And I think in college that was kind of up in the air a little bit. So um, I might be moving T Higgins down like a couple spots after you said that. Um, I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, if I'm going with, I, one of those guys, one of those three is going to be really disappointing for fantasy purposes. Um, it's very rare that you have three really viable wide receivers. Um, and for me, I would just bet on the talent. And for me, the talent is clearly Chase, Higgins, Boyd. Um, I've never actually owned a share of Tyler Boyd. And it's not because I didn't want to. It's just typically when I'm in the seventh round, I'm not taking wide receivers like him with minimal upside. Um, I don't know. I... I think the Bengals will start slow this year. Um, hope, you know, hopefully they start slow. So that way you can reach out to a Jamar Chase owner see if you can get him on the cheap real quick. But I mean, other than that, like personally, I, I don't know what T Higgins ADP is, but typically where I'd be drafting anyways, he'd be my wide receiver two, or my wide receiver three on my team anyways. And I'd be fine with that. Um, I know I'm not going to get, you know, a hundred receptions, 1500 yards and 10 TDs. So I know as my wide receiver three, he'll probably get something like 65, you know, maybe 900 and a handful of touchdowns. And I feel like you know, for a wide receiver three, you know, and wherever he's going is, is probably fair. Um, Tyler Boyd, I was out before and it wasn't on purpose. I'll just probably continue to stay out. Um, he's not someone I want to roster solely because – if he's not, and if if he comes out in, in the first week or two and doesn't do anything, good luck trading him. I mean, good luck trading him. He'll be a roster clogger. You'll be stuck with him, and he's too good to drop. So you can't drop him, and you won't start him. So he'll just be stuck on your your bench, and that's not the kind of guy I want to draft, uh, especially later because his ADP is obviously going to drop a lot. Like you're probably talking close to double digit rounds on Tyler Boyd now. And I'm swinging for upside there because I've already got my core built and I've got, you know, young pieces that I know are going to be good. So now I'm going to take upside swings and I'm not really wanting to take a swing on a 27, 28 year old slot wide receiver um, who's buried behind Jamar Chase and probably T Higgins on a pecking order. Um, That's just not how I operate. I mean, at some point, everybody becomes a value, but I don't like to roster guys who have clear roster clog potential because that limits trade avenues. And the and anytime you take a player and you start to eliminate trade avenues, it puts you in a, a spot where sometimes later down the road, you'll have to make a trade where you're going to take an obvious L just to clear, clear the space. Um, and that's just how I operate with business and everything um, doing fantasy is. 
uh, kind of avoid guys like that. And I mean, I don't know what Tyler Boyd's contract is, but you know, maybe when his contract comes up, if he's not 30 plus, you can go somewhere and be a viable wide receiver too and become a value. I mean, like, Maybe you're hoping for a Robert Woods second half revital career, but uh, I don't see it in Cincinnati. So for me, barring an injury to one of the top two guys, Tyler Boyd's not someone I'd touch. And I feel like the closer we get to the season, um, Jamar Chase's ADP will continue to climb. Um, and I'll probably be out on cost then, but for now I'm fine with his ADP. Um and T. Higgins, I don't know. Really good player. He was my wide receiver three last year. He the kid could play. Um, has the DC. He'll he'll get his. It just depends on when. Um, he'll have big games and he'll have dead games. I mean, you'll just have to roll with the punches. But I mean, you know, you just gotta look forward and understand that the Bengals passing offense might not be as great as you want it to be. And especially if, because we talked earlier about Joe Mixon, if Joe Mixon comes in and they establish the run and they're only throwing 25 times a game. So you assume three of those are to Joe Mixon. You got 22 pass attempts to go to chase sample pits or no, not pits. That'd be crazy. Um, <laughs> but you get my point is like, at that point, are you really going to bet on like six targets? Like, is that really a place you want to put yourself? So just when you're drafting, um, I know Jamar Chase is supposed to be that dude, and I really hope he is. But just don't put yourself in a situation where you have to have him hit. Otherwise, you're going to be disappointed if he doesn't. And then that's when you get stuck in that, oh, well, he burned me. I'm not going to draft him moving forward position. So that's just how I'm looking at it with the Bengals. And um, I don't have anything else to say, really. My thing is, like, I don't understand how Higgins' targets are going to go significantly down. I mean, maybe if you give him a little bit of, you know, throw a little of him Chase's way, but with them vacating A.J. Green's targets, I don't see it going down significantly. And if you want to question Burrow's, you know, deep ball and his ability to throw along the sideline and things of that nature, I understand that. But, I mean, the guy played with – is it any worse than Brandon Allen or Ryan Finley? I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I highly doubt it. So if, if you're looking at what Higgins did in that offense last year, I just don't see Jamar Chase, like taking that much away from him. So I, I think you want to personally, if Higgins is going as like a high end wide receiver three, I'm buying at that cost because I, I still think he's going to finish in the wide receiver two range personally. Andrew, I, mean, I don't know. So- so, and, and Joe Mixon finishes his RB8. I mean, we're talking about four guys now all finishing top 24 at their position. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the greatest well, offense of all time. I'm, <laughs> yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals. So, like, I mean, the greatest. The greatest. Like, it's the turf. issue. And it's like, Hayden, I, I believe you said Higgins was at 26, something, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, you're basically drafting, you know, your wide receiver too, who has probably close to the same ceiling as Jamar Chase but a significantly lower floor than Jamar Chase. And that range of outcomes at wide receiver 26 is way too big for me. Yeah, so going back to the, especially we can, you can take Boyd, you know, 10, 10 spots later, and you know he's going to get at least 100 targets. Uh, do you, know, do you know that he's going to get 100 targets? So I, 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 just I think, don't know if I agree with your comment that Higgins has an astronomically lower floor. If we're talking about floors in that wide receiver room, 
I believe it's Tyler Boyd. I, I agree he, he's a fine player and he'll be a slot, but I'm just not going to bet on the worst player to be better than the other two statistically. Okay, but here's the thing. It's like, you know, I'm – I am new to analytics and I, I've told you guys this. I'm very open about this. I am, I am learning. Right. And because I, I was a film guy first and, and I, through my building this wide receiver model I've done over the past, you know, two months or so, one of the biggest things that stood out to me was if you are not the best player at some point in time on your team in college, what makes me think that you can be the best player at the next level on your team? Okay. Higgins at no point ever at L or at Clemson, was the best player on the field at any point in time. Okay. So Jamar chase, you have a very strong case that he was the best player over Justin Jefferson two years ago. And now Higgins is in a competition with some guy that was clearly the best player on the field at some point. Do we watch the same Clemson team? I know you got to count. Oh, you got to count yeah, out I, Trevor I, Lawrence. Yeah, I don't, I don't count the quarterback. I don't count the quarterback. I love Amari Rogers. I'm, I'm a huge Amari Rogers fan, but T Higgins was better than Amari Rogers. He's better than Justin Ross. Like uh, he was better than Travis Etienne at his respective position. I don't know if I agree with that statement. Like that just, I disagree with that statement more than anything, really. Like I just, T Higgins coming out was my wide receiver three. Um, he was a clear alpha. I mean, they spent the 33rd overall pick on him. Uh, I, the kid can play. I mean, he's an absolute star. You could really, you, you, I think we're realistically looking at a, a Julio Ridley situation up in with those two guys. I mean, those two can play. They have alpha potentials. He was drafted to be an alpha. It just so happened that, you know, Joe Burrow blew his knee out and his superstar wide receiver he threw to in college was sitting there at five. I mean, to me, it's kind of a, a Chris Godwin, Mike Evans situation. I think, uh, Godwin and Chase are similar in skill and, and stature and, and playmaking ability. And Mike Evans and T. Higgins possess a lot of the the same skills. But I think I would swap those two comparisons. But I think Evans is more like Chase, the big body, go get it, make a catch. You know, use your size. And Higgins is more of the the lean, mean, killing machine, so to speak. <laughs> Hayden, what, uh, I think you were going to jump in on, on, on that a minute ago. Yeah. So I just think that how I have the rankings, I'm over consensus on Joe Mixon slightly because I think that the Bengals are going to actually run the ball a little bit more than they did last year with Joe Burrow's uh, injury. The offensive line will be better. And I think just the team in general will be a little bit better. So they're not going to have to be forced into throwing the ball 60 times. And because of that, I have Jamar Chase, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd, like three to five spots lower in my rankings than where they're being drafted at. So that's how I'm viewing it is. And the same thing with, with Joe Burrow. I think he's being drafted as the quarterback nine on underdog. And I just did my rankings. He's my quarterback 12. So I'm just kind of betting on the running game a little bit more than everyone else and tinkering down my expectations for all three of the receivers. All three of them are very good real life talents. Uh, I think that target shares will be, about the same overall. I think that by the end of the season, I think it could be Jamar chase, like with like a 23% target share. And then the other guys dropping down, but I think over the course of the season, all three of these guys wide receiver threes. Um, I, I think that, I think that T Higgins will be like spiked weeks though. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he's going to be the like red zone guy and sure. Jamar chase is going to be more bankable week to week. So that's why I have him ranked slightly ahead, but yeah, I, I think the Bengals, they can't support all three receivers and Joe Mixon to a full extent. 
Um, so you got to be kind of careful how you're projecting these out. It's, it's one of the situations where all of a sudden like, Oh, Joe Burrow's like putting up MVP numbers. Cause that's like the only way that you can support three running backs and a top 12 or top 12 running back and three receivers. Like all of a sudden the math doesn't work. So um, it's one of those teams where you have to be careful. So do you agree with that, Sam, that, that Higgins will have more volatile weeks than Jamar Chase? I literally said that. Did I not? What's wrong with me saying that his floor is lower? Cause that's saying the same thing. Like you have two guys that can reach. The it's floor. not lower. It's like, it, if anything, his floor is equally low as Tyler Boyd. He'll never be worse than Tyler Boyd. Well, I wasn't. I mean, like, you, okay. Oh, I thought you were talking about when you were talking about, like, I thought you were talking about all three wide receivers. Just, just he Higgins and Chase. Higgins had the lowest floor. Just Higgins, oh, okay. just Higgins oh, and Chase. Like, I misunderstood you. Yeah. yeah, Chase will give you consistent, you know, targets, yards, touchdowns, whatever, on a week-to-week basis. As we're like Hayden said, I, I believe that you know Higgins, you're going to have your boom weeks, and you're going to have weeks where it's like, did he even play? Okay, so let's play a game. Um, I don't know what the ADPs are, but I'm going to guesstimate. Chase in the fourth, Higgins in the eighth, Boyd in the tenth. You have to draft one. Who are you drafting, and why? Well, I think unfortunately, uh, T. Higgins being drafted way ahead of that. Uh, yeah. He's being basically is he? Oh, okay, I didn't. I didn't. Really I was close. It's really close between Chase and and. Higgins. Oh, okay. I do think it's gonna. It's the that gap's gonna widen a little bit. I think that T. Higgins. I think is probably a little likely to like maybe go from wide receiver twenty six to like wide receiver thirty by the time right. we kick off. Especially if we see if we see Jamar Chase in the preseason catch like a forty yard touchdown, like you can forget about it. T Higgins is going to drop a little bit. Um, it's tough. See, yeah, it seems hard. The, I'm so ready to react to fan or preseason football. Yeah, it's it's the Amir Abdullah preseason effect. Yes. That's what I've. Yes. Oh God. I remember watching Amir Abdullah at uh, Nebraska. And he was so fun to watch. Yeah, people were excited about him when he ripped off like a 60-yard run or whatever it was in the preseason, and that's going to happen again this year with somebody. We'll see. Who well, I remember play. in 2019 when it was a hot take to say Dalvin was like a top 10 guy, and then he comes out his first touch against the Falcons, bust the 80-yard touchdown, and people were like, oh, that's it. You got to sell. It's about you'll never be hired. It's like, oh, wait, we'll, we'll hold up about that. But, I mean, like preseasons like, – the thing about preseason is it's so much fun to overreact, but like at the same time, like you can't actually overreact. It's just we're so starred for football at this time of the year that we don't care. Yeah. Like we would go watch like – like typically when the Super Bowl gets here, you, you know, you're kind of like, all right, let's get the Super Bowl done so we can kind of start offseason stuff. But like early July, late August or early August, you're just ready. Like you don't care if it's the fours going against like the ones. I mean, like you just want to watch some football, but especially since we didn't have it last year, um, you'll be able to see, you know, guys playing. Okay. Like this kid looks like crap, but you know, I'm excited about overreacting. I'm like, I'm not actually going to overreact, but I'm going to keep saying it. Yeah, I, uh, this preseason is going to be a lot of fun to see these rookies' values go up and down. But I'm, I'm definitely that was a fun discussion on the Bengals. I think they're a team that I'm going to have to try to dig into a little bit more of their offense and and uh, kind of figure out what where I see a lot of those targets going. Andrew, yeah, what do you got? Listen, I got one more thing, Hayden. Uh-huh. I don't know if I would change your projections too much on the Bengals because we have to ask ourselves the question: Is Teddy Bridgewater a top twelve quarterback last year? The answer should be no. No, yeah. But he had CMC, and I would say Mike Davis stayed consistently close to an RB1 status if you were to go throughout the season with both of them. Is that correct? Yep. 
And then you've got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel all finishing the top 25. So it very well could have an RB1 status by the end of the year. And then you can see those three guys finish all close receiver two range. Now, I'm not saying any of them are going to be like receiver one. So if Jamar Chase continues to climb, I don't know what's going on in the redraft world because they're betting on an absolute ceiling. But I I think it's a very good possibility, like you broke it down in your projections, that they could all be very close in the same target shares if they do kind of like Carolina did last year. Bad defense, do what you can to win on offense, kind of distribute the ball evenly across the field. So it's an interesting is, case. Is there any offense in the league right now we would feel comfortable saying that they will support a top 25 QB, RB, and three wide receivers or two wide receivers in a tight end? Uh, now let's remove the tight end because that's cheap. I mean, is that immediately – I, I would say the Cowboys possibly if Michael Gallup rebounds. That'd be another. One. Who's the three in LA? Like, who are we betting on to be the three? Or do you don't think? No, but it would be a real question the, for the Rams. I don't think, yeah, I don't think the third wide receiver is good enough. Like, it's Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and then like a steep drop to like Van Jefferson, two two, and um, Deshaun Jackson. Um, right? Yeah, he'll but, be hurt. We might. Um, Pittsburgh. Uh, Big, Big Ben, Najee, and the two of those three or all three will be top 25. I think a wild card would be the 49ers if you throw in Kittle um, as a receiver. Uh, and you had a major season from Trey Sermon or something. Um, if, if Trey Lance is that good, that would be a wild card. I'm not projecting that. I do think the Bengals, it's just one of those scenarios where their defense is that bad and their skill players are that good where there is this avenue. I think the, the blueprint, like you laid out, Andrew, is perfect. It's it's the Carolina Panthers from last year. So you can make the projections work when there's no tight end, there's no fourth receiver, there's no backup running back. You can make the projections work. It's just you have to be careful that, like, all of a sudden Joe Mixon's on my RB7 and then I have Jamar Chase in my top 15. Like, all of a sudden nothing makes sense. But I think all three of them could be, like, wide receiver threes and the math works out. There's all three of them can't be, like, wide receiver twos. What about Tampa Bay if they let – like, let free my boy Rojo? Like, I mean – because clearly Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tom Brady will all be top 12. Well, not top 12, but top 24. And then, you know, A.B., if, you know, he, whatever the heck his new legal situation is figured out. Um, and then – I'm going to say no. RB24, the top 24 RB, you don't even have to necessarily be a good fantasy producer. So I think whoever is the lead guy in quotations, either whether it's Rojo or um, – Fournette could be top 24. And then you may have Gio Vani Bernard sneak in there if he gets those receptions like he really might. You know, I mean, could they potentially have four or five guys? Like, do you think Gio gets enough receptions to sneak into top 24? Gio, I mean, Gio maybe, but I I think, if anything, Gio's going to hurt the chances of Ronald Jones or Fournette finishing top four. Just because, I just wish just because give one of those, those two guys to finish top 24 or higher is going to be pretty much all off rushing yards because we just talked yeah. about, you know, how Geo took uh, so much away from Mixon. Yeah, I'm super biased for Rojo, obviously. I mean, I'm literally friends with the dude, so you can't take anything I say about that guy for serious. I mean, I just wish they'd give him 300 touches. I also don't think AB is going to be – consistent enough to fit in there especially if i mean godwin saw 84 targets last year they got to get him more targets and i know he, he only saw 80 games, did he miss games he only played 12 games uh, yeah oh, okay i was like whoa 
Yeah, so he'll get more. Um, and I just I don't think all three of them can can finish that high in there. But um you guys have any last uh questions for Hayden or or anything yeah, I before? Got yeah, go ahead. Yeah, do you like Jalen Hurts? <laughs> so <laughs> cut the pod. This is where we'll cut the pod. You can edit this out later. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this uh you can answer for re- I can for redraft only, so you don't hurt my feelings in Dynasty. No, well, I'm going to do both. So okay. as a prospect, I was higher on Jalen Hurts than basically everybody. I thought he can actually play, um, especially for fantasy purposes. In redraft, I think he's a top 10 uh, quarterback. I think there's a lot of bust potential with him, but his ceiling is like top five. Uh, the, the question is the Eagles all of a sudden could have three first round picks. So Jalen Hurts has to play like really well, not even like, okay. He has to play really well for them to commit beyond this year. So I don't know how you handle that with dynasty, um, maybe it's like after like a couple weeks that Jalen Hurts is playing well, then you flip him. Um, but I, I think that Jalen Hurts is better than what people give him credit for. That's I don't know if the Eagles are going to actually commit to him though. I think that's going to be a little bit tougher when all of a sudden you have three first round picks. So he has to be really good this year. So here's, here's where I've come to peace with this is that I, I agree with you. I think if, you know, even if they win seven, eight games, whatever, which I think is realistic, I think they could win seven games. Um, that they still might opt to move on. And if he plays well throughout the entire season, there are still teams out there, Washington, Pittsburgh, or two right off the bat that could move for him. So in Dynasty, I don't think just because the Eagles move on is the end-all, be-all for him. I think that's totally reasonable. We see young quarterbacks get moved more than ever just because I think the NFL is more willing to like take on risk. I mean, Sam Darnold got – a bunch of chances. I I do think the one thing is a lot of teams were low on Jalen hurts. That's why he fell into the second round where maybe Washington is stuck on their pre-draft evaluation. They're like, we thought he was a third round guy. Like we don't care how he's played the, in these like 14 uh, spot starts. Um, That would be the one concern, but I think Jalen hurts is good. Like, I think I'm not like maybe not good in real life, but like decent enough in real life and like really good for fantasy. So it's very risky. I think I would be, I don't know. I'm in on redraft for sure. That's that's, that's dynasty's. Tough. It's it's tough for dynasty. I personally for dynasty. I just I don't. I personally think the Eagles are going to be one of the worst teams in the league next year. And I just think if they're sitting there at three and fourteen and they have the number two overall pick. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, I just that's where I'm at. Like I, you know, Matt. I know you know he was your guy coming in, and I I'm with you on him. Like I'm going to go down with him with you with him either way. But personally, like I believe. Eagles will be a really bad team next year. And if you have the chance to draft Sam Howell or Spencer Rattler or, you know, if they ever is another big prospect who blows up and Jalen Hurts is even, even if Jalen Hurts is fine and they sit in there with the top five pick, I think he's, I think he's toast. I, that's just, and that's not anything on Jalen. I just, the, people still believe Dak Prescott is not a franchise quarterback because you drafted in the fourth round. Like, People live and die too hard on draft capital, even in the NFL. And that's why I just feel like there's that there's a more of a chance that Jalen Hurts is not the starter in 2022. And it's not even because of his fault. Like, you know, oh, Nick Sirianni wants his guy. And, you know, like, you don't know. I mean, or Jalen Hurts can come out and they go 13 and four and he's an MVP. I mean, like, if that happens, we'll have to block Matt on Twitter. We'll have to take his Twitter keys because. <laughs> I, I just – I see, I don't – if they do get a new quarterback next year, 
I don't think it comes via draft. I think it comes via trade, whether it be Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, right. somebody else. So that's where my concern is because if you look at next year's draft, I think today at least we would all say that you know players like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields are probably better prospects than anybody you have in 2022, right? Well, mm-hmm. the Eagles had a chance to get Justin Fields and they passed on him. They also had a chance to get Mac Jones and they passed on him. So I have a I don't think if they're gonna replace him that they do that in the draft. And the owner also said they wants to build around him. Like we I it's tough because it's tough for me to say because the Eagles past suggests that they're very irrational. They make very quick decision moves. There's not a lot of thought presses put into them as far as the front office goes, right? So when when you look into into next year, is it reasonable to say that maybe with Howie Roseman and the, and the structure that they have to where he's running, you know, the personnel now and, and the head coach really doesn't get a head say or a, get much of a say that even if they're poor or, or decent, that Jalen Hurts is still the guy and they continue to build around him, even though we haven't seen that yet from the Eagles necessarily? I think there's like very little overlap between Jalen Hurts playing good enough where other teams want to trade for him. I mean, he went in the second round for a reason and uh, that he's not good enough where like the Eagles don't reset like that. You're, you're really splitting this. Like he has to play good enough to get traded for, but not too good. I mean, it's, it's just like a really slim chance. I think the Eagles are going to draft somebody and probably like move up, use their first round picks and then uh, draft somebody. And then Jalen hurts like a, glorified backup um you know what though in in denver those are the kind of quarterbacks we take are those recycled guys that nobody else wants that just fit that criteria of like maybe good enough to start but um you know not good enough to to win the job on their team i just think unfortunately for it's gonna be like the same thing with drew lock like no one's gonna be trading for drew lock no no team wants drew lock because every single team in the league had a second round or later draft uh grade on him and that's the same thing that with Jalen Hurts I think that's the difference between Sam Darnold who I think has been playing just as bad as Jalen Hurts and Drew Locke but he had a lot of teams had first round grades on him so they're okay with betting on their pre-draft valuations and there's no team out there right now that is like banging the table for Jalen Hurts because they all had a chance to draft them and they all decided not to so that's I think that's the one difference between Jalen Hurts but I love Jalen Hurts he's gonna be a baller this year so that's what you'd be hoping for for dynasty purposes. Is he just as good as he was at Oklahoma? Yeah, that's all you can hope for. Either way, Matt, you have this unique ability to turn any podcast into a Jalen Hurts podcast, and I love that about you. <laughs> and now he's glaring at me. So, um, don't understand. That's all. I have so many thoughts and questions. I know you do. We'll have to do a jalen hurts extravaganza pod where we just let you talk about him for four I'm hours calling sick that week yeah we'll just give the floor to matt That's <laughs> all right uh hayden winks of underdog fantasy thanks for joining us um you want to let anybody know let the people know what you're working on what do you got coming you got any uh thing coming out here in the near future I actually have a Jalen Hurts tape evaluation, like literally coming up soon. <laughs> but the uh, the biggest thing I'm here for is to promote Underdog Fantasy. It is the biggest best ball platform there is. We have a $3.5 million tournament. It's $25 to enter. And I'm going to give you that $25. If you use my promo code, Hayden Winks, no space, Hayden Winks, you'll get a free $25 if you deposit. 
Um, it's $25 to enter $1 million and $1 first place prize pool. Lots of drafts um, for all sports, not just football. Um, but go enter Best Ball Mania 2 on Underdog Fantasy. That's You're not going to find a better uh, redraft platform than Underdog Fantasy right now. There you go. I know I will be signing up and going for that million and probably drafting Jalen Hurts because, you know, he's, he's going to be great for this year, right? Um, no, but thank you for joining us, Hayden. Um, all of our listeners, please go check out patreon.com backslash fantasy scouts. Um, coming out with new content pretty much every daily there. So once you uh, sign up for Underdog Fantasy, go check us out on Patreon. And other than that, uh, we'll be back next week on the Fantasy Scouts podcast where we bring you inside info you won't get anywhere else. 